Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. I can't do it. We'll do it live. No. We'll do it live. I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live. All right, I want to welcome you to another edition of Take It to the Bank. I want to preface this by saying we have a lot of good stuff coming in the upcoming weeks for this show. Next week, I will sit down with the managing editors of the Steelers, Browns, and Bengals websites for the SB Nation affiliate, and they will tell me what they think about the draft. They're going to tell me how they feel about it. They're going to give it their grades or rankings, if you will, if you're not a grade guy, and they're going to talk about it. And I'm interested in a lot of things. I think it's clear at this point how I feel about it. I've written an article about it. You can check out the previous podcast to hear me talk about it, but I'll give a quick 60-second update about it. To me, the Bengals had the best draft, not only the AFC North, but one of the best drafts in the entire NFL. I love their first four picks of Price, Bates, Hubbard, and Jefferson. The the Bengals got exactly what they needed, and I'm curious if my position and my take aligns with the Bengals guys. The Steelers, that's going to be another interesting interview because I was not happy with the Steelers draft. I thought they reached on several players, including their first-round pick of Terrell Edmonds. I thought that they failed to really build a good future and foundation and prepare for the future. I like the addition of Rudolph, but I think I'm in the minority in that one. I don't think nearly as many people are as high on Rudolph as I was. So I'm interested to see what they think about that. And then the Browns, all the eyes and all the attention is going to be on Baker Mayfield. But I'm curious about if they were upset about the decision to take Corbett over Hernandez and how they feel about Nick Chubb given his injury history. I was high on first four picks other than Corbett. So I would have taken Hernandez, but I get Corbett because of his versatility. Now, let's get to the Ravens. I got a couple questions about their dra- after their draft. I'm curious about a couple guys and their situations on the roster and their future. Let's start with wide receivers. They have 10 wide receivers plus two UDFAs after they announced their 15-man UDFA class. We'll get to that later. So the Baltimore Ravens decided to draft two receivers in the 2018 NFL Draft. They got Jordan Lasley and Jaleel Scott. Both are boomer bust to me. Now, Yitzi White's... He's an editor for Baltimore Beatdown. Well, I'll use that word editor loosely, but he is an editor, and, and he made an interesting comparison. He said that Jaleel Scott is a poor man's court in Sutton. He actually went as far as that he thinks Scott might be a little bit closer to Sutton than I believe he is. And Scott, the, the measurables are, are there with him compared to Sutton. Very similar play style, both big red zone guys who just snatch the ball out of the air, not really fast, not pure route runners, but athletes. It's an interesting comparison. Then we have Jordan Lasley. did a film piece on him. I recommend you check it out. He's got explosive yard after the catch ability. He's explosive and electric at making players miss. He's dynamic. Some even called him, a la Mel Kuyper, said he's a first-round talent, but his character issues and his drops pushed him down the board and made him available for the Ravens with fifth-round selection. Now, to me, Lasley's route tree is far from complete. He, in college, from what I saw, he only ran maybe three or four routes, which isn't like abnormally rare, but I will say that it is concerning for me if, if, if people are really going to put their stock in this guy and have him be eventually number two or, number, or even number one wide receiver. 
And then they have CFL superstar Devier Posey. They also have the three signings with Crabtree, Sneed, and Brown. They also have su- a scoop and score more, who's a, who's a uh, Baltimore beatdown favorite. And Quincy had a boy show and Tim White. So what are they going to do at the wide receiver position? To me, it's fairly simple. You're keeping the two guys you drafted. You're keeping the three guys you signed plus Chris Moore. That's six. Now, depending on the roster crunch and how the other positions shake out and the depth, if it is there and injuries, that's going to be your six wide receivers. They could have a chance to keep seven. If they keep seven, that's a competition between Adebojo, White, and Perryman. And to me, Brashad Perryman has to prove a lot. He has to prove to me in the preseason that, he, that not only can he catch the ball consistently, he has to prove that he can create separation. That's the biggest thing for me with him. He has to prove that he can create separation because he's failed to do that thus far. He has to stay, he has to stay healthy first and foremost, though. That's, that's number one. And the thing is, I, I was looking back at the NFL draft in 2015. I was looking back at what scouts and online scouts and analysts and everyone else were saying about Perriman. And no one was wrong. Everyone said he's going to entice people with his measurables and his, and his physical ability, but he can't catch the ball. He, his drops are concerning. Lance Zerline even said, and I quote, his, his drops are going to drive teams crazy. You can answer that, Ravens fan. Has his drops drove you crazy? It's, it's frustrating because the 2016 season, he came back from the injury, and he came into the season, everyone was like, okay, this is it. This is the year that Perryman's going to take off. And, and, and then he gave us a good stepping stone. He had 33 receptions for 499 yards and three touchdowns. I thought, okay, next year, getting into the 2017 season, he's going to take off. I thought that he had the potential to develop into a number two receiver. I wasn't ignorant. I didn't think he was going to be number one, but I thought that he had a chance to be the number two receiver. And he proved me wrong. Brashad Perryman struggled to create separation, struggled to catch the ball. His, his catch rate was like around like the 28%, only on like 33 targets or something like that. That's pathetic. Um, and he eventually lost his role in the offense, and he eventually became a, a healthy scratch four times. He missed five games last year, and he was a healthy scratch four of them. To me, he has to prove everything I just mentioned, but he's going to be fighting an uphill battle. It's going to be hard for him. It's going to be hard for him to make the roster. It's going to be hard for him to prove to me, in my eyes, prove to the coaches that, that he's a different guy. Maybe, maybe they're more lenient and they're more forgiving of Perriman than, than most fans and myself are, but I don't think so. I think that this guy's on his way out. He might not even make it past the third day of training camp because they, because Field Yates reported that they owed him a little bit upwards of $600,000 for the third day. So who knows? Defensive lineman is another interesting position group to look at. So they have nine, if you include Patrick Ricard, plus one of the UDFAs. So they have 10. How many are they going to keep? Last year they kept eight, but then they had Urban get hurt, so they went down to seven. Now, I don't think it's going to happen that they're going to keep eight again. What they're going to do, and this is my way too early prediction, Brandon Williams, Michael Pierce, Brent Urban, Carl Davis, Chris Wormley, Willie Henry, Zach Siler, the seventh-round draft pick, and that's it. And then Ricard as the eighth, if you count him, but I think he's more of a fullback at this point than a defensive lineman. So that means that Bronson Kafusi is gone. Bronson Kafusi suffered his injury his rookie year. Everyone thought that he was going to come back bigger, better, stronger, and he didn't. He was only active in three games, and in those three games, he lacked explosiveness. His technique was questionable, and he barely made an impact. He had a total of five tackles. It's time to cut the bait. I understand that it that it's his third season. The Ravens have seen guys break out in their third year, but I would be shocked if Kafusi was that guy. You have so much depth on the defensive line. You, he would be a healthy scratch, or he barely gets snaps, even if he is healthy. There's no point. You, you, I'd rather have a seventh receiver, a la Perryman, or a fourth tight end, a la Max Williams. I'll get to that in a second. Than Kafusi. 
And that's what it is at this point. It's a roster crunch. You have to look at the numbers because outside the, the, the starters and stuff, it, it becomes a numbers game. And that's what it becomes for Kafusi. I think he's going to be on the outside looking in. He's got a lot to prove in the preseason. But I don't think he's going to do it. I think he's gone. It's interesting, though, because what are you going to do at inside linebacker? So history tells you four is the number. Four might not be the number this year. They could keep five. Allow me to explain. So they have C.J. Mosley, Patrick Onwasu, who are your, and Kenny Young, who are your automatic three locks. Neither, none of them are getting cut, obviously. Now, that leaves you with Bam Bradley, Kamala Correa, and Albert McClone. If you have those three guys fighting for one spot, I'd give the edge to Ben Bradley. He was he was dynamic on special teams, and he was very impressive in the preseason at, at inside linebacker. Ben Bradley showed the instincts. He showed the ability to shoot the right gaps and make the right plays. I think, to me, Ben Bradley has the highest upside out of all of those guys. Now, McClellan, you can argue, is a special teams ace. He's the leader of the special teams, and Harbaugh loves his special teams players, so McClellan could be one of the last guys to make the team. And I get that, so that's why you could consider five. Not to mention, he also provides some versatility just in case there were some injuries to the outside linebacker position. He can play outside linebacker as well. But he's average at best at both positions. He's, I would say, slightly below average at that. So to me, just because the numbers game, again, you're keeping five, and McClellan and Correa are on the outside looking in. Tight ends, and I'm going to spend the most time on tight ends because there's, a, there's an argument for pretty much every guy. Hayden Hurst, Mark Andrews, and Nick Boyle, in my eyes, are locks. Hurst and Andrews, you don't just draft guys in the first and third rounds and then cut them that year. It just doesn't happen. I, I don't think that I'm crossing any lines there. I think that that's pretty obvious. Now, Nick Boyle, to me, is a lock because of what he provides in the run game. He doesn't make the biggest contribution in the passing game, but there's a reason why you drafted Hayden Hurst and Mark Andrews. Nick Boyle's a very, very good blocker. He meant a lot to the offense, and we saw the, the game that he missed, what happened to the running game. Now... Could you make the argument to keep four? Darren Waller, if he gets reinstated, Max Williams, and Vince Mayo. Vince Mayo's another special teams guy. He had that rushing touchdown against the Raiders, but other than that, I don't think that he provides much. He could be on the outside looking in. Max Williams, he hasn't been the same since his injury. And everyone wants to talk about how he was dynamic during his rookie season because he broke that Ravens record. He only had 32 receptions for 268 yards and a touchdown in 14 games. So... Let's not overplay what he did. Yes, he set the Ravens' rookie record, sure, for a tight end, but let's not overplay it. It's not like those numbers jump off my screen, but I believe that they're going to give him another chance. I think they might keep four because of him. I don't know if they're ready to, to cut loose from him yet. Should they be? That's an entirely different question, but my prediction would be that he makes the roster. If it were me, he wouldn't, but I think that, that he's going to for them. Cornerbacks. Interesting again. This is a true rags-to-riches story. The Baltimore Ravens had Jimmy Smith, Marlon Humphrey, uh, Tavon Young, Maurice Kennedy, Brandon Carr, and Anthony Avery, who you just drafted. That's six right there. That's very six very, very solid cornerbacks. But let's dig deeper. Tavon Young's coming, coming off of a, a season-ending injury. Jimmy Smith's coming off a season-ending injury. Anthony Avery, obviously, is very unproven. Kennedy, although he was very good towards the end of the season, he has battled injuries in his short NFL career. So you do have some question marks at that position. Bring in Jalen Hill, preseason superstar. Is he going to make the roster, or is he on the outside looking in? Can you really keep seven cornerbacks with all the roster crunching? I'm not sure yet, but he's certainly up there. Not to mention they have Bennett Jackson, Stanley John-Baptiste, and they have a defensive back uh, who's a UDFA. So... The question remains, how many cornerbacks are you going to keep? My prediction would be they keep seven. I think Hill proved a lot during the 2017 preseason, and he's going to continue to prove that in the 2018 preseason. Or they're going to keep seven. Now, it wouldn't be a Baltimore Ravens podcast if I didn't talk about Lamar Jackson. 
That's what everyone is talking about. That's what everyone wants to talk about. And I'm not going to talk about him and Joe Flacco. It's just not going to happen because it's Joe Flacco's job to lose. It's Joe Flacco's job right now, and this is his team. Now, here's my scenario for you before I get into Lamar Jackson. Let's just say week eight, week nine, maybe even week ten. The Ravens are four and four, four and five, four and six, whatever. Pick a number. Pick what you want. They're riding on that mediocre line or worse. I believe the Ravens could turn the keys over to Lamar Jackson. Now, that would take a lot for them because they would have to completely switch their offense. The offense with Joe Flacco is obviously entirely different than what it would be with Lamar Jackson. He commands his own offense, but it might be worth it. Depending on what he does off the field, behind the scenes, and how his development goes, he could be out there sooner than many think. I'm not going to say Joe Flacco is going to not play the entire season, but I think that there's a more realistic possibility than many are saying that Joe Flacco might not be the starting quarterback by the end of the year. And I'd be shocked if he's still on the roster post June 1, 2019. But as for Lamar Jackson, here's my question. Can he fix his accuracy issues? And I'm not a guy who's looking at his completion percentage and just saying, oh, he's inaccurate. I'm a guy who's watched his film numerous times, watched pretty much every game he ever played in college, and saying, okay, sometimes passes get away from him. Sometimes he has miscommunications with his receivers. Who's that on, the receiver or him? I'm not inside the locker room. I can't tell you. I'm just telling you what I see. Sometimes I see Lamar Jackson make poor decisions. Can he improve that? And not to mention, how is his offense going to how is that offense that he that he ran at Louisville and his skill set going to translate to the NFL? What do Marty Morningway, Greg Roman, James Urban, and the rest of the offensive staff have in store for him? What kind of offense do they picture? What kind of scheme are they going to run with Lamar Jackson at the helm? I'm not sure. I think because Lamar Jackson in college, a lot of those runs, Ken McCusick came on our show and told and broke down the stat that he said 70 to 75 percent of his runs were designed runs. So. Are the Ravens going to be more run more of that style? How are they going to transition? How are they going to do it? I, I, I think that Lamar Jackson has to develop into a more of a pocket passer. We've seen how quarterbacks in the NFL who rely too much on their legs don't last long. We saw with the guy who's currently on the roster with RG3. How is he, So how is it going to translate? How is it going to evolve into the NFL? I'm interested to see that. We will see some of that in the preseason maybe, maybe even a little bit in training camp. Let's just see where it goes. The offensive line, to me, is an entirely different story. Everyone wants to talk about how James Hurst got this massive deal. Well, let's break it down. He got a deal that's worth $17.5 million, 8 mil guaranteed. And I looked on Spotrack, and I just wanted to compare where the average yearly salary compares to other players of his position. Spotrack has him listed as a right tackle. So if you list him as a right tackle, his $4.375 million average annual value ranks 38th among all tackles. Now, okay, let's just say he's a guard. 31st so he's not this guy who or, or he's not paid like a starter he's paid like a borderline starter slash backup really good ba- in other words really good backup money so the idea that Hurst is locked in to be a starter because they signed him for four years is not true it's just simply invalid so you look at this and let's look at it one more time at their starting projections how many are they going to keep last year they floated around eight or nine what's it going to be this year let's just take a look this is my projection for the starting offensive lineman. Ronnie Stanley at left tackle. Left guard, Alex Lewis. And then I'm still torn about this, but I believe that Bradley Bosman's going to make, going to turn some heads at training camp. I believe he's going to turn some heads during the preseason. I think he's going to surprise people with how pro-ready he really is. He's, he truly is one of the biggest steals in the draft at the, in the sixth round. He's not the most athletic guy, but he has the, as Ken says, he has the size and shape to be a great center in the NFL. And that's exactly what he does. He's great at technique, a little bit, little bit poor in run blocking, but I like him in pass protection, and I think he has 
the good foundation that he can build and develop into a solid starter. So he could compete with Skura for that starting job. Boris Rianda will be the right guard, and Orlando Brown Jr. will be the right tackle. That leaves you with Hurst, loser of the center competition, Jermaine Illuminor, and Nico Saragusa, Greg Sinat, Andrew Donnell. Right then and there, you're not going to keep all those guys, obviously. you got your five starters, you have Hurst, you have the loser of the center competition, Illuminor, and then that leaves, to me, maybe one spot. What I believe is going to happen is Greg Sinat is either going to end up on the practice squad or he might have one of those mysterious injuries, like Ken McCusick noted. He used a Simpson reference that I just can't recall at the moment. Andrew Donnell, see ya, and Nico Saragusa, when he starts on the pup, I believe that he could come in depending on how healthy the offensive line stays after six weeks. Let's just see how that plays out. Now, the Ravens made a couple of news. I want to make a couple of news and notes as we are on this Friday afternoon. The Ravens announced 15 undrafted free agent signings. I'll, I'll give you a couple guys to keep an eye on because everyone wants to talk about UDFAs and who's going to be the next guy to continue the streak and who's going to be the next UDFA that we remember. I'm going to go to Lance Turner, running back, Alcorn State. The Ravens don't have a pressing need for a running back. I understand that. They have Alex Collins, Javorius Buck Allen, and they have Kenneth Dixon. But let's break that down a little bit further. Javorius Allen was dynamic in a very limited role. He, uh, he was especially vital in those Browns and Colts games towards the end of the year, week 15 and week 16, respectively, and when Alex Collins was a little bit shaken up. Buck Allen made a contribution in the passing game. He was very adept, and I think he was very underrated. Not many people are giving him credit for what a season he really had. I was doubting him at the beginning of the season. I thought that they should have cut him. I didn't think they needed him, but clearly they, they were right on this one, and I was wrong. Take notes because it doesn't happen too often. Now, Javorius Allen, he's coming back, but this is his final season under contract. Kenneth Dixon has had three knee injuries and a couple of suspensions, so he has struggled to stay on the field. So you have to look at how can they possibly rely on this guy right now. And the NFL is turning into a running back by committee approach. More teams than not are using this, this approach at the running back position. So you look at it, the Ravens need a home run threat. They need a guy to make plays, a guy who can take it to the house on any single touch. Now, I get it that, that Turner played at a lesser university. He wasn't playing against NFL competition, or a lot of NFL competition, I should say. But he had an 88-yard touchdown last season. He's had a, several big runs throughout his college career. He's elusive. He's not the fastest guy, but he's elusive and he's agile. He's able to make defenders miss, and he can make a contribution in the passing game. He's going to be a guy to watch. Another guy to watch, Jalen Acklin. Wide receiver, Western Illinois, six foot two, 190 pounds. He has the ability to make an impact on special teams as a returner. His numbers in college aren't sexy. I'll just come out and say it. He has great explosiveness, and he's quick off the ball. He showed that. I believe that he is an underrated guy that could make the roster. Now, I prefaced this in the beginning, and I'll say it again. Let's get to our contest. Uh, what is our contest? Ladies and gentlemen, it's UDFA time right now as the Ravens announced their 15 UDFAs for this season, if there could be more coming, but that's what they announced so far. Let's look back, because as Matthew McConaughey says, you have to go back to really go forward. Who is the greatest UDFA in Ravens history? Who made the roster? Who do you think? The winner of this contest will receive a Ray Lewis poster. This isn't a ginormous poster, but it is a poster. It's about, I think, 20 by 25, if I'm not mistaken. But it is a phenomenal poster of Ray Lewis, and you, will, and you definitely want it. It has an inspirational quote on it. It's already framed, ready to ship. I just need an address and a name. So, 
you are going to comment on this art on this article on the Baltimore Beatdown article. If you're listening on SoundCloud, go to Baltimore Beatdown, find this post, and comment. Give me the name of the guy and why you believe he's the best UDFA. Now, if don't get discouraged, if you go on there and you see that your guy is already listed, that's fine. Give me a better reason why you believe he is. It's okay if we have the same names from time to time. It's all about who delivers it better. It's all about how you present your argument. I already have my answer. I'm not going to tell you who it is, but I have my answer. Convince me. Prove me wrong. Allow me to change my mind because sometimes I'm not always right. And the last thing I want to bring up at this moment is so Eric DaCosta went on the Lounge podcast and he stated that the Ravens, they thought about the Derwin James pick. That he thought that DaCosta said that he thought that he was one of the best players in the draft. But they, but according to May, Ryan Mink, who reported this on Twitter, they said they felt the draft was really strong in the third and fourth rounds. They wanted to acquire more picks while also having a first-round selection that addressed the offensive side of the ball. So that's not a surprise. I just want to address that. That, that. that answer, and I still have to listen to the podcast, but that answer doesn't surprise me. Like, it doesn't surprise me, the logic. And that's what I said right when it happened is they just wanted to get they just wanted to get a tight end or maybe who knows but at that, at that point they just wanted to get a tight end maybe a wide receiver but they they definitely didn't want to take a defense a defensive player regardless of how good he was and that proved it with Derwin James who is one of the best players in this class and I believe he will be and he will prove that in it throughout his long NFL career so you hear the music that's my cue but I will say this let the best person win I'm out
I'm Ashley Carmen. I'm Caitlin Tiffany. We're the hosts of Why'd You Push That Button, the Verge's show about all the choices technology forces us to make. We're back for season three, talking about questions like, why do you delete your tweets? And why do you type in lowercase letters that make you seem like a serial killer? <laughs> and why are you on an exclusive dating app? You're not that special. <laughs> We're releasing a new episode every Wednesday, and you can find us anywhere you typically find podcasts, which is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts. So go ahead and subscribe and check us out.